Hey everyone, welcome to No Percent Names Review Crew. This is episode 43 and I'll be your host today, Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor for No Percentium. Today we have... Hey everyone, it's Patrick McLean, the Chicago Curator. This is Catherine Yu, Executive Editor of No Percentium. So today um, we've got an episode where I don't know much about what's going on in the, <laughs> DR, <laughs> the VR space. Um so I know that's what you want to talk about. So you have some games you're uh, like that are coming out soon that I think you're trying to figure out whether you're excited about. Are they interesting? And and I don't want to like monopolize discussion as someone that doesn't know what the hell is going on in the VR space. But maybe you kind of like walk me through like maybe you're, it's worth picking up a quest for some of these games. Maybe it's not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. A big part of it is that maybe two weeks ago at this point, Meta, Facebook, whatever you want to call them at this point had their like gaming showcase of like and i'm sure many people are out there are well aware it's basically the equivalent of like e3 or other video game or computer-based uh, conferences where they just release a bunch of stuff they tease they're like this is what's coming this is what's going to be happening and they did that with vr in regards to all the offerings that Quest has, and as we've kind of talked about, once again, for better or worse, Meta slash Facebook, they have the best VR headset available for the general public consumers. And so with that, I think with this recent announcement of games, they've got a big push into, I think, some pretty big brand names and things in regards to um, what they're trying to offer, but a few of them are also sequ- sequels to a couple classics that we do enjoy. I know uh, Catherine is, I bo- maybe I've got this wrong, but you're uh, a fan of the first thing that they kind of teased that we've got in the notes, right? Yeah. So they are doing Moss book two, which is a sequel to Moss. And it's, I think it's a really interesting format for a VR game because like some other console and PC games, you are controlling a character who is this adorable little mouse named Quill. And so you've got Quill and it's kind of got like this platformer, 3D platformer feel with some puzzles. But you as the player are also present in the game as this kind of like ghostly figure and your hands are these glowing orbs. And so you can not only control Quill, but you're kind of Quill's companion character. And so as this ghostly figure uh, who is human scale in VR, you know, Quill Quill is this itty bitty mouse and sometimes she needs help uh, leaping over gaps or crossing bridges or opening doors. And so you as the human scale ghost can actually manipulate the world to help Quill along. Um, So there's these spatially oriented puzzles because it is a platformer and then there's combat elements and it's happening in this kind of fantastical forest, a very classic storybook world and so i i have um i have a soft spot for polyarch games and what they've done with moss in the past so i personally am looking forward to it because i think this is just a really interesting format that lends itself well to vr and one of the things that really struck me about playing moss one was not even just moving forward with the game but just enjoying the forest environment and looking at some of the environments and puzzles and almost set pieces from multiple angles. So yeah, looking forward to this one. Yeah. Cause they definitely use perspective in regards to the platforming. I think that's what makes Moss kind of a, it's an older game, but I think that's what made it stand out for so long and one that people kept like holding up. So it's exciting to see where they go next with the sequel. I don't know if it's been too long, but like how does how does the platforming elements work in in VR? Because that seems like it could be a little little dicey. It can be. It's 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 sometimes it's a matter of being able to manipulate the world and spin around it. We it's so many other people it changes because there's like um down the rabbit hole, which is an Alice in Wonderland experience where you're literally going further and further down the hole, but you're like, you're in this, it's like a circular space. So you can like look around and you got to like kind of peer through different levels and things like that. But then you can see how far you've gone down where then there's also this, the, the curious secret lives of pets. I'm screwing it up, but basically there's like this kind of like floating Island, which you can grab and rotate to see if you can try to spot the pet. So everyone does it very differently in regards to kind of like the perspective. And I think what um, 
Moss does really well is that it makes that a sprawling. Like I feel like so much like when you're playing like let's say Mario and you're he's running along one way or the other, you just get that tiny squares worth where with Moss and some uh, these other games you can really see like up and down the whole platforming experience or look at it from the opposite angle and maybe discover that's the solution. Oh, that, that's interesting. So yeah, it sounds like it has like that, that puzzly element that Catherine was, was talking about too. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, more tactically, you've got like this thumbstick joystick. And so you would like use that to move your character around. But then when you move your actual hands around in space, they're still your hands. So you get like a little bit of like the best of both worlds that way. Nice. All right, Patrick, I think you got the next show. Or yeah, and I think this is probably one of the two bigger announcements that came out of the gaming uh, showcase for Meta. And this was Ghostbusters VR, which is from Sony Pictures, Virtual Reality, and uh, Ghost Core, and the creators of the Ghostbuster franchise in general. And what was very interesting is that this was more of a promise of what's going to be coming. Uh, this was one of these more theatrically produced trailers. I believe it even had the note of like, this is not actual game footage. This is just us trying to showcase what it is and what hopefully will be. And it's heavily implies that you and three other friends will be wandering around, you know, it looked like a basement for right now in the, the trailer that they presented, but then you're going to be capturing ghosts and you're going to be using your uh, proton packs and trying to probably have ultimately catch Slimer. I mean, like to not include Slimer in this game seems like a really dumb idea. So I presume he'll be showing up along with other of those iconic guests. Now that's really all we know. Like we don't know, is it like a multiplayer campaign or is it just simply like a drop in, have like a you're in a mini map and you're doing objectives but it's i mean it's a pretty big thing for sure and i think it's a you know a continuation of trying to get like name brand recognition into a lot of these vr games but we don't know like which ghostbusters who who you are like are you playing any of the iconic characters either from the original or from the reboot like we we still don't know any of that well and then in the trailer it looked they did I saw of the other three players because the trailer is shot from the perspective of like a player like walking around and they're seeing things and the three other, you know, profiles and images we saw like they weren't they I didn't see any recognizable cast member from any of the Ghostbuster movies. So whether that also means maybe you can customize your Ghostbuster, right? Like the more you play like that, you get cosmetic perks and things and stuff like that but it's also like I, I think it's worth noting is i think what vr can do really well is have communal experiences and i think like so much you know there are plenty of games where people can just do something by themselves but there's so few that you can do something collectively well and efficiently and that's the hope i have for ghostbusters in regards to what's coming and that one has like a built-in like i mean like camaraderie aspect in, in terms of how the Ghostbusters work too. So I think maybe that that'll, that does sound interesting to me. Someone without a headset and can't even play it. It's like, oh, maybe I, I would check out that one. Uh, Catherine, you have the next one, which is also maybe a, a familiar name, but not in the same way that Ghostbusters is. Right. So while the upcoming Ghostbusters VR title is cooperative, uh, Among Us VR is, I think, the opposite of a cooperative. <laughs> um, so it is taking the very, very popular kind of twist on werewolf slash mafia, that 2D game that was extremely popular around 2020 um, and even into 2021, created by Intersloth. And they are partnering with a name that should be familiar to VR heads, Shell Games, who did I Expect You to Die 1, I Expect You to Die 2, Until You Fall, as well as Robot Teddy. And this is coming out uh, in holiday 2022 is what they promised, but it is essentially a three-dimensional virtual reality actualization of the Among Us game in which a group of players are all tasked with various... Uh, problems that need to be solved on a really terrible spaceship. Meanwhile, one of them is the killer 
silently kills one of them and then it turns into you know j'accuse it was no i no i was in the control room where were you oh you were in the comms room no i was taking up no patrick did it no wait it was kevin and you know all of that kind of wonderful stuff that happens in a social deduction game so super looking forward to this although I do have to say that I tend to die really quickly in 2D Among Us, so <laughs> not really looking forward to dying in VR or being ejected. In the, so one of the like classic things they do is once you accuse someone of being the murderer, uh, you eject them into space. And so if you're unlucky like me, you either die really fast or you get accused really fast. And of course, you're not the murderer, so you just get ejected into space. And that's, you know... Not not the best thing, but that's kind of, you know, that's how a game of werewolf or mafia or whatnot works anyway. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how they adapt this game to the VR space, because I think to that point, while when if if you do die early or if you are ejected and we're not the killer, you can come back in Among Us as like a little in the primary game in the original you come back as a ghost and you can just wander around and help with activities or you can just haunt your killer just because you're just so angry and frustrated um and then the other thing is that when you are uh, you get do bump into the killer and that they they do kill you there's this kind of like different animations that like flash very quickly and things like that and sometimes they're very different uh and there's different versions of them so it'll be interesting to see how those two components play out when it's in the like the three-dimensional rendered space i'll be curious to see like do you just drop out of the game instantly like i because I, that's well, what I, mean, I said it's like it's busy work sometimes like if you die you're just kind of like all right i'm just gonna hit these buttons and just help out and lucky the people who got to live and even just how it plays right because it, it's in like a top down so you can kind of see what's going on around you but if you're in vr like you're only gonna be able to see like kind of what's in front of you unless you're like heads on a swivel right well yeah and that's the thing like so like i don't turn that's around like, yeah, that's, the thing. that's like i think that that's the exciting part of this with adapting it to vr is the tension that like being mindful of 360s, like looking over your shoulder and like trying to see is someone behind me? I'll be curious to hear think how sound works. Do you think maybe they'll have like, you'll be able to hear people's footsteps like on the metal floor? I imagine it's a, when I look at that game, I feel like it's all like metal and stuff in the hallway. So it'll be curious to see how they communicate people, uh, how other people are interacting in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sneaking up on me. Patrick, you have the last one, which I, I don't know anything about. So I'm just going to let you talk about it. Yeah. This is a one that I'm excited about and then kind of we'll get into here shortly. I'm a little bummed about. So uh, they're coming out with a sequel to Red Matter 2 by Vertical Robot. And I, I know Catherine, I think, very much enjoys this game with me. So this is essentially in a alternate timeline where the cold war went on for much longer and the world was reshaped because of it and the aesthetics of you know um that soviet era still persist and are involved and we had there's been a race to colonize the stars and they've made it to mars in regards to the russians have and they seem to have a really strong foothold and in the original you are going in there to try to figure out what's going on and solve the mystery of what happened to the previous people on the planet. And it quickly becomes this uh, long form puzzler that is deeply psychological and has you beginning to question what is real and what isn't. And it has a pretty trippy ending i think the last the last third of it i'm still constantly thinking about in regards to what it was trying to tell me and what it was doing so it'll be very intriguing to see why we're returning to this world um i agree in regards to it yeah i feel like the story the explanation for the events that occurred because very early on as you're exploring this abandoned moon station on saturn uh, the the Volgravians, like you, you're an astronaut, you've got a mission, I think you're trying to get some sort of intelligence. And then you start to see, how would you even describe it? Uh, not algae, but like a, like a fungus, 
has like taken over the station. And like so- a goop. Like uh, like I, I imagine it like it's a reddish version of what the aliens and alien like kind of end up covering ships in and things like that. And it's just like kind of snot based. Like <laughs> Oh yeah. It's super creepy. And then you start yeah. seeing things that aren't actually there in the story world. And just they had a whole explanation for why this was all happening when you got to the end of the game. And I was like, oh, ah. This is a very wonderful, self-contained, makes sense. I like the internal Uh logic was solid. And now there's a sequel and I'm kind of like, oh, but the original felt like it was very well encapsulated. Like it, it did tie up a lot of those loose ends. Yeah. And I think the other big part of it was it did tone amazingly well. Like I talked about this with um, Rafe, uh, the VR horror game last year, and that's the underground station base that you're in, in red matter, it just has a life of its own and a personality and spoiler alert, you really don't encounter anyone in that game, but there's just like this uneasiness in how the world functions and lives and exists. Um, And I think that adds a lot to that experience. And one of the things featured in red matter too, actually two things is that there seems to now you be able to see people like in regards to like in the opening, there's like a cut scene with like someone speaking over a radio and you can see their face. It's a, it's, it's a digital face. It's not like live capture video. And then also there's like robots now that you're like shooting at and things and stuff like that. So like I, I'm excited, but I'm very worried that everything I loved in red matter Two is going away and it's just maybe the title of this game is what's being carried over. Yeah, it's possible, you know, you could always like spin it as a sequel, but not literally call it Red Matter 2. It could be like Agent Epsilon something something, you know. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it's like, (laughs) oh, we found another secret base and you're just on the other side of the planet, like that kind of a thing. Like, But you're not alone anymore, right? Like the whole thing that made it so creepy was that the base was abandoned. You're getting radio communications from like uh, your, your, um, your captain or general or whatever. And then because it was supposed to be abandoned, why did you see this weird figure? Where did that other well, did astronaut? You? you weren't even sure at right. first. It's maybe. gone now. Like yeah. all that vibe, the creepy thriller is gone, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, 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 we, it's like, it was, it's only like a 90 second trailer. We don't really see a lot other than like, Hey, we're back. And we've included more stuff into this world for better or worse. That's now new. And like the room, like Rafe, I, you know, and like maybe the conversation we'll be having is just that I think it's becoming more of a video game rather than uh, an immersive narrative experience that simply has some video game elements in it. Right. Like if you um, if you look on the Quest store, you'll see certain experiences are tagged as interactive stories and less about maybe the action adventure stuff that tends to be on like the front page. Or, or buried, or it just happens to be the deal of the day. That's usually what happens. Because uh, there's one other here, one really very quickly, because they recently, like within the last like week or so, like announced a game that I think y- you and I are very excited about, because I saw this and I'm like, this is, I want more of this. And it's called The Last Clockwinder. And it seems to be a puzzle automation game where you are in one space that is changing around you as you kind of solve the mystery of a family who has been taking care of some magical fruit in this tree to keep the world growing. Uh, Does that sound like what you've watched Catherine in the trailer? You know, I think I was just hypnotized by these looping automatons that you could build. And then all of a sudden you could start thinking of like these Rube Goldberg like mechanics and just the potential for the types of puzzles that you can make with, you know, winding clocks and gears and loops as a metaphor just seemed really rich to me. So I don't think I paid as much attention to the story so much as, wow, they're actually trying to like gamify this type of mechanic. Yeah. Like, cause it seems that like the order in which maybe you're having these little droids do things that like ultimately maybe we'll get the engine going and solve a puzzle or something is really intriguing to like, 
because it sure seemed like it consisted of like you program one robot to toss something, you program the other robot to catch it, who then hands it to a third robot who then dunks it into the machine. Like the integral timing of it seems so intriguing and original and super exciting. And it's like, why wasn't that maybe one of the games included in the game conference? Maybe it wasn't ready. We don't know. We weren't there. We're not involved. We're not making these decisions, but I'm like, that should have been that. I wish that was a headliner game for me. (laughs) Show that show more of that on the homepage, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just super interesting to note that, um, the publisher of the game is Cyan Ventures, who you all might know better as the creators of Myst. So Cyan Worlds now has this publishing arm and not only are they publishing Last Clockwinder, but they also published a game that I think we're going to talk about, uh, in a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Do we, do we want to just talk about it? (laughs) Well, I, I feel like you had this amazing segue planned, Patrick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's just because I think that's the big thing is that like, I think the the, the, the last clock winder addresses that is that I, I, it's been very interesting to watch the VR space, even these last couple of years, and how quickly it has gone to action adventure, first person shooting games, so quickly and in dominating the field is that's the only options. I feel like just maybe five years ago on the quest, like it was just like Vader immortal and some other kind of more walking narrative type things that maybe like had some light, like arms swinging and stuff like that. But there was always so much emphasis on world or story or characters or something very unique rather than, all the stuff you could get from a video game that you could play on a console or on your computer or even on your phone nowadays. And I feel like we've really drifted away from that. And I think that's something I think, Catherine, you have a, a similar interest in most of the staff at No Persinium does. And I presume all the good folks out there listening, those are the things when they put on the headset, they want to experience more. So we wanted to highlight some new stuff that we've been playing that's come out that might be flying under the radar or you might not be seeing it because it's not the banner thing in the meta store when you click on the app to maybe peruse and buy something new and just uh, from the perspective of someone without a vr headset who's like always kind of considering buying one i stuff like moss book too seems like what i'd be more interested in like playing on a vr space than a, a shooter which i mean i i play a lot of like destiny 2 right now so it's like i'm not opposed to, to shooters but it's like those feel better on a console or like a mouse and keyboard than it might on a, a VR. And, and it sounds like Moss uses like the perspective that you can only get maybe in VR to, to include in the puzzles and the way the game plays out rather than just like, Oh, I, I played a shooter before I have there's a million of those on consoles. Right. But Kevin, uh-huh. don't you want to have to have like all of your, you know, um, your, your, stuff around your belt and then have to like actually reach down and pick up the gun and then realize it's not loaded and then you have to find where the bullets are on your body meanwhile you're dying and your screen's turning red in your face that that's so much fun right yeah what a great time (laughs) you know you say that and then like but if that was actually like an in-person immersive experience maybe it maybe it would be fun that way yeah i think my my like my bugaboo, I guess, is I, I drop stuff in VR all the time. And every time I have to like pick something off the, the okay. digital yes. floor, I'm like, God damn it, not again. <laughs> Why can't I having... tell it go? <laughs> well, and then even it's funny. I have a friend who is really big into Warhammer. And he was like, let's get the Warhammer game because then we could do it together and stuff. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And <laughs> I, I couldn't get the ammo cartridge into the gun. Like I, like I kept missing the spatial thing. Like it would, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I was the worst. I'm the worst soldier ever, apparently. If it came to the heat of the moment, I'm just like, uh, and I'm just dying because I can't load a fake gun because I'm holding two controller things in my palms that have circles on them. And you're like banging them together in reality, trying to like line everything up in the virtual world. Yeah. It's a delightful time. Five stars. <laughs> load a gun with like oven mitts on. Yeah. <laughs> It's worse than oven mitts because, um, like, injuring your other ha- like injuring one of your hands with the other hand because the controllers are crashing together, you just feel so dumb. <laughs> yeah, like it. 
yeah, it's like by your bicycle first bicycle ride in a way. It's like I should be aware of things and stuff like that, you know. Anyway, let's talk about anyway. some games that uh, rely on other kinds of mechanics. Uh, Patrick, uh, so you and I have both tried a little bit of Area Man Lives. I've gotten about like an hour into it. I don't know how far you got. I've gotten much further, which I think is actually ah. maybe going to change the perspective of this game. So this is Area Man Lives by numerous, numerous games. Numinous. Numinous. Numinous thank you. Uh, and so basically the summation of this is that it is you are a radio DJ uh, in a small Oregon town where you're spinning the records and it's kind of a, you know, low gig. Maybe their listenership is not all that much and you've got to keep things going. And, you know, you're doing commercials, you're taking callers on the air and you're trying to piece things together. But what quickly happens is that there is an area man who believes you are sending him like instructions on what to do tonight, that by playing circuit, certain records or certain ads, you are trying to tell him to, you're trying to alert him to divert an impending disaster that could be around the corner. And from there, even things get wackier and spookier and goofier and nuttier all at the same time in every possible direction as things unfold. But you yourself never leave the recording studio while there's all these characters who are having narrative experiences around you unseen. You only get voices as a whole. There's no people as of yet through my playthrough and you are influencing lives and things like that from the uh, comfort of your little DJ booth in a really kind of fascinating way. Yeah, and, I would compare it to Firewatch in that you are interacting with characters, but they're never visible to you. So you might hear someone pounding on the door. You might talk to someone over the phone. I think the station manager speaks to you like over a speaker. Yes. And the art style is very comic book-esque. And all of the dialogue is subtitled on the various surfaces of the station. And it's using comic book lettering. And there is there is a lot of dialogue in this game. Well, I will say that was actually something I thought really was nice in, in regards to accessibility because if basically it's a four walled room and depending on where you're looking, the text will always be present somewhere, which I thought was really nice that like in, in case, you know, like I feel like there's a lot of games where they just maybe put it at the bottom of the screen or it's in one place. I thought maybe for those who have trouble hearing things uh in regards to games uh they could like look and see they can always see the text and i actually thought that was ultimately helpful for some of the puzzles for me because i was able to like see the word and i'm like uh that's what you're trying to clue me into yeah and there's so, sometimes this... like double talk like the station manager is talking to you while someone on the phone is also talking to you and so i was like oh i I, I can like read what they're saying. So it, it took something that could be overwhelming into something that was like actually digestible. And so this is, I, you mentioned the puzzles, but is this like, is this more comedy? Is this more drama? Like I, I watched the trailer, which is my sole contribution to this conversation. Um, it, seemed, <laughs> it seemed like it had like a kind of a, a comedy bent to it. And I guess part of that is also the people um, involved on the, the voice cast, which includes uh, Max Greenfield from, from new girl, Joel McHale of community, and then Ronan Farrow, um, who was like a real question. Like, uh, in that one right. A, a journalist playing yeah. a journalist. And yes, uh, the thing, it's like a little spooky, a little surreal. Like it has a lot of the hallmarks of like, oh, this could go ter terribly wrong because there's a storm and the power goes out. And, and yet um, Max Greenfield's character is literally called Area Man because when he talks, it says like Area Man and then what he's actually saying. <laughs> well, and then so I think, Catherine, you called this out as a comparison of its Firewatch. So I would say it's Firewatch meets the lighter, funner elements of Twin Peaks um, in regards to like the tone that it's trying to set because at – well, let's let's get into it a little bit. So, you know, Area Man believes the disaster is coming but doesn't know what and is on a quest to solve it. And you can guide 
the area man through the town by playing certain records or ads. Like basically if you put in an ad for the um, local Mexican restaurant, when he's at an intersection and that's one of the two places he could go, because it's usually like a option one, option two kind of branching narrative by playing the ad for the Mexican restaurant. That's the direction area man will take to try to go there. And then both typically what happens is, while on the way to the location, there's some kind of obstacle. And then in getting there, there's some kind of obstacle that requires you, the DJ's help. And that's where then I think the fun thing with Airy Man Lives comes in, because if you're not quick enough or you maybe fail to do the challenge correctly that arises, the Area Man dies. And then what happens is, is that the news reporter played by Ronan Farrow gives a summary of like the bizarre way that they died. And then of course, naturally what you find out is like the area man was revealed to be a private consultant to the last eight Nobel prize laureates in being very helpful in making sure world peace is occurring, right? Like the area man always turns out to have like secretly be involved in something else. Um, and then the other big part of it is that like they're goofy, they're goofy challenges. At one point for me, I'm driving along and that satellites start dropping out of the sky suddenly and randomly for some bizarre reason. Wait, did, did so, we get into spoiler territory? I think we did. <laughs> well, it's, but it's one of the many paths and I guess, so yeah, spoiler, we're going to get into a few of these games. So thank you for listening. Sorry. I didn't throw that up. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I guess, Catherine, in your hour of play, what happened? Maybe in a very small nutshell. I feel like the entire first hour is just this exposition setting up who you are, what you're doing, mm-hmm. who Area yes. Man is, and then the fact that Area Man has carjacked Joel McHale's character. And so, you know, is they're using this other kidnapped character as like the foil against Area Man because I feel like... It would be a lot harder to get some of this expository information out if Area Man wasn't trying to explain to his kidnapping victim who he was and what he was trying to do. And um, one thing that I don't think that we mentioned is the experience uses the microphone. And so you can try to speak to people using the microphone on the quest and it'll transcribe that in real time. And so that's not the like the, I guess the vast majority of the interaction between Taylor, the DJ and area man is through playing records and playing these ads, but that's not like the only interaction mechanism. I think we also neglected to mention that this is a very small town. So there's only like eight places for area man to go. (laughs) And there's very helpfully what looks kind of like a weird map slash murder board behind you. Yes. Yeah. And I think so you can use that to kind of track and then there's a a magical little like purple dot that shows up on the map that kind of shows you where they currently are uh so you can have a sense of perspective there um so i guess catherine did you reach an ending to this game no no my headset started to die just as we were getting through who area man was why area man had this person's car uh, why joel McHale's character was trying sure. to get to the beach because he needed to be with his wife because they were supposed to be going camping yeah. and so i think the the like first chapter because it it feels like a radio drama it feels like it's supposed to be episodic but it takes a really long time to set up all the pieces of the story that mm-hmm. i didn't act like i got to maybe the first hey you should direct area man somewhere like that okay. was the only interaction i had he hadn't unfortunately perished yet <laughs> okay so this is very interesting so i have not i've experienced not one not two but three different endings to this game so far um, in regards to what's happening. And each of them, I would say, is still not the primary ending in regards to what happens because I still never... I, I took different routes that actually, one of which took me the opposite direction of where uh, Joe McHale's wife is having the baby on the beach. Um, and what ha- So what happens is the first time I went through it, basically I ended up taking Area Man and Joe McHale's character to the car shop. And of course, what happened is that the the car mechanic starts to choke 
And luckily, the area man is there to give the Heimlich maneuver and saves the day. And it's a wonderful experience. And there's a nice little report at the end. But of course, Ronan Farrell points out, unfortunately, the, the, there's a pregnant woman who is, was not rescued and has been chased by raccoons with blow dart guns who are bizarrely really effective and have great aim with this. And hopefully something can happen to have that done. And then like the world spins and lights up. And then the clock is there's a clock in the DJ's booth. that You can kind of track the time, which does track minutes successfully goes back in time. And then I get a quick recap of basically the first hour of the game again. And then I can then essentially prompt area man to the go a different direction. Are the, are the characters aware of the time loop is your, your characters obviously aware of it because you're playing them, but like, is that built into the game or is it just like, it appears uh, not to be. So there is a narrator who I believe is voiced by, um, uh, Linda joy, who I think is delightful. And, I think this is where the comic book element comes into it is that the narrator seems to be omniscient and aware of what's going on. And it's implied that like the narrator is the one booting you back to the beginning of the sequence of events to try to do this again, to have a different experience. And so I would say I've played six hours of this game and I've had three endings and I would still say I haven't had the primary ending And I'm kind of what I think is really cool. And I think a lot of the no pro community would really like that have headsets is the depth of world building and the opportunities that are available to just explore and have imagination in a very confined space. Uh, Because this is also, as we, uh, Catherine hinted at from Cyan, the publishers of Myst, and it does have this very kind of sprawling, like, the more you explore, even though you're in the same little room, I guess maybe the more you interact and the more decisions you make, the wider the world becomes around you and the more opportunities emerge to have different things occur. And there's a lot of just stuff to explore. Like if you just want to stack the cassette tapes and play records, you you can do that. There's um, yeah. stuffed animals and a book and a mug and like... Uh, you know, takeout containers and all sorts of other side characters who've kind of left their mark in the booth. So I had fun just kind of exploring the booth itself and trying to play records. Although I will say it was very difficult to get the records back into the sleeves after you've taken them out. And as a vinyl nerd, that was extremely <laughs> disturbing to me. I was oh, like, you no! Didn't, you didn't do what you do in all VR games and once you're done with the thing, just throw it on the floor? Oh, no! <laughs> And I think there's a record that doesn't even have a sleeve, and that was just like frustrating me so much. Yeah, I think there's one that just sits on the desk at the start. I agree. And and so I I really enjoyed a lot of this and the humor. There's uh, the game's really funny. Like you have these Joel McHale and Max Greenfield are hilarious. These are some really great vocal performances because they've been given some really funny material. And I think that's worth celebrating. I will say the downside on this game is that I've, I've encountered the frustration in having three endings is, is that, you, you know, in Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray, mm-hmm. it gets set up that he's stuck in the same day and whether he goes to sleep or does something or dies or whatever, he gets booted back. The power of the movie in order to like just quickly cut and establish shots and re- repetition goes so quickly we're here i don't know whether they maybe expect people to not play this game like for several hours straight or maybe to like return to it over a longer period of time sporadically but then the recap so you get so you have an ending you get kicked back to the beginning and i would still say sometimes depending on what decisions you made you might cover 10 minutes of recap to try to get to a place to have a different decision it does not go quick in regards to getting back into the thick of it, which is very frustrating. It, it seems weird because we've had so much time loop media lately from games to movies and most of them just see like, I don't I think the Palm Springs movie just like 
assumes you know what's going on and just like launches into it. Um, uh-huh. We were talking about a little bit beforehand. I, pl- I just played Deathloop, which has a has a looping mechanic, and it it runs you through the same sequence like once, and then it's just like, all right, we're done with that. We're going to skip past it now because you know what's going on. And that does seem weird, just making people play through the same thing. Like that's not the meat of the experience. You there, there's no option to skip ahead or make it optional. It's, it's like so forced bizarre. every time. Yes, yes. Mm. You can't even skip over dialogue. That like so when you are in a challenge and you and Airy Man dies, you know it boots you back just to right before he dies. Right, so give do the challenge again. See if you give it a second try to try to solve the puzzle again. But then you can't skip the setup. There was one that I was actually very confused on what I was supposed to do. It took me when I got it. I'm like, oh, I see. This is obvious. But I had to hear that sequence of summation three times. Oh, we're stuck here. Oh, look out. Here's the thing. Oh, no. What are we going to do? He dies. Oh, we're stuck. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, look out. He's going to die. Restart. Oh, he's stuck. What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to die. But it plays out, unfortunately, much longer in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to like, it, it, like it's an unfortunate bummer of this game that the time loop com- the, uh, mechanic, while clever and allows actually a lot of depth in this game, to get back into the thick of it quickly is not easy. But I ultimately, I, I don't know. At this point, I, I like it. It's very choose your own adventure. It's very fun. It's goofy. It's original in what it's doing. So uh, at the end of the day right now, unless the final ending is going to be a letdown, it's a recommend for me. I think it's there's a lot worthwhile here to play. It just seems like a like a fun game the way you're describing it, too. Like, I don't seems cool. Even it's got a few flaws. And I mean, that happens with with anything. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to jump on to the next one you two wanted to talk about, which is Lost Recipes by Shell Games. Yeah, another another shell games. Uh, we can't. <laughs> I think we can't get enough of um, all the offerings from that game studio. So, Lost Recipes is basically the premise is is you're just traveling back in time um, to prepare to learn and prepare culturally important recipes as taught to you by those with actual ancestry in the culture. And primarily, this game focuses on Greek, Chinese, and Mayan. Uh, history and culture and whether it be that you're just learning to prepare the food using their time honor traditions or learning like fun historical information in regards to the context this was just a delightfully fun game like talk about something where it's like there's nothing happening with like you know shooting or violence or there's anything stressful going on you cannot die (laughs) yeah you can't die you can poorly plate your dish i plated a dish poorly and got bad stars so basically what happens is is that you appear in one of the three kitchens uh and there's um like the everyone's community is like uh are they chef ghosts is that the conceit i don't know why they're ghosts but they're ghosts because i guess you're traveling back in time and you basically have to like go through the steps of actually cooking like i i I guess (laughs) On one hand, maybe for those of you who might not like cooking, this might sound like a nightmare, but I found it so delightful because what happens is, is you're like having to really focus on the act of cooking and take your time, which I thought was a kind of daring choice in a way in a VR game is that like you have to wait for the water to get to the right temperature when you're boiling it or the oil. Like you can't rush through this game. You have to be mindful of what you're doing and how you're preparing food, which way you're cutting things and how you are mixing things to get the right amount of like um, creating like a sourdough ball to in order scoop pieces and put it together. Like, so uh, cooking such a tactile experience, does it, does it capture that at all? Cause I just feel weird if you're like, kind of like, if you don't have like the weight of the knife in your hand or the thing to press against, like, does it, how does it handle that? So in regards to like the tactile nature, I would say that it's definitely not like um, it's not like I'm really having to maybe like press into something carefully or like make sure I line it up perfectly straight to cut like a a jalapeno from the top to bottom, you know, uh, in regards to it. But it it does require you to really think and do things like I feel like sometimes in a lot of VR games, you can just bungle your way through everything like you just can't 
chop the onion, like to like get it diced. Like you have to like hold the onion and slice it. Or if you want to put some cinnamon on some fried uh, dough that you've made, you've got to hold it together and make sure you're scraping it and you've got it lined up so it falls up. So it really is about being like cognizantly present, I would say, in regards to the tactile thing that you just like, while you don't have the sensation, you understand the importance of what you're doing. Does that make sense? I think so. And I, I you know, or use like a VR thing, so I don't know how it would play <laughs> sure. out. Sure. But it's right. it's a lot more like, oh, this is the process of how you would make the dish. And yeah. it's less okay. about very precise technique because when you have to add, say, liquid to something, I was like, I'm not really measuring here, but okay, a splash of this and it turns out okay. Um, so I think they've also possibly chosen recipes like, that are maybe a little more forgiving. It's like the spirit of cooking rather than like the letter of cooking, I guess. Yes, I think that's a great way to do because like when it's like a splash of like um, wine, add a splash of wine to this recipe, you'll pour it in, but then it'll make a, a sound when you're like, oh, that's enough, like ding, like you've got it, perfect. And it'll like shoot little stars out of whatever you're mixing in, like not like obnoxiously, but enough to like clue you into the fact that like, yeah, that is a splash compared to when maybe you need to dump three cupfuls of water into something. Like you do feel like you are dumping the water in longer rather than the splash of wine. Okay. What I found really nice is there's all these other cooking simulation games out there and it's all about you're running a restaurant. You're Lucy in the Chocolate Factory. Orders are coming in. Stuff's not chop, coming chop. out enough. Like, hurry yeah. up, hurry up, hurry up. And this is like, we're going to walk you through how you make this classic dish. And everything's fine. Let's be calm and soothe. And like just like enjoy the process and the act of like picking things up and combining them or stuff like like you know, roll something out and put it in the oven. Oh, you need to start the oven. Like, let's start a fire. So it didn't seem like you needed to be perfect. And it seemed also really hard to like mess up or fail. Yeah. Well, it it I, seems like more in line with like a home cook, right? Like it's like, I don't, you're not, you're not running a restaurant or you're just, you're making something for yourself. Like the process itself can be enjoyable from like picking the food out to the cleaning to the cutting to the the cooking um that does sound that sounds interesting I'm into the yeah and I it's think really the, the cool other, yeah and the other strength of it is is that um the 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 chefs that are teaching you or help giving you instruction while maybe there's some downtime while you're like waiting for like the the water to boil when you're in the greek kitchen um the chef will be like oh look, look out the window and you look out the window and there is the um the like the Acropolis is up in the distance and you can see it. And then you get some interesting tidbits and pieces of information. I thought the, the Chinese and the Mayan um, kitchens were full of like constantly fascinating pieces of information that while you're maybe doing some chopping or you're preparing food in a very particular kitchen utensil, like you're in a walk or, uh, on a specialized piece of cooking utensil, I think. Yeah, they they, they, they like explain the equipment that you need mm. to use to make the specific dish, and it might be like equipment that's specific to this culture in this moment in time. And they did a ton of research for the educational stuff because they wanted to make sure it was representative and it was authentic. So if you look at the credits, there's like eight like college professors who are, who are credited for being these cultural consultants to make sure that things were accurate and they were respectful in their depictions. And do they like provide the recipes if you wanted to try and make some of these on your own in the real world? After? I believe they do because I saw a lot of things on the website that like if you go through the credits or it's at some point in it, they talk about like you can see more recipes and things like that. Um, but in many ways, I think that's the genius of it to your point, Kevin, is that the, the steps are straightforward, like while they're like, you know, oh, like, you know, a splash of whatever, things like that. Like they're like, oh, just one pepper or one things like that. Like I, I haven't looked at, and I suppose we could do that right here, right now uh, is that I would be, my mind would be blown if you couldn't find these recipes on the, 
the the lost recipes website right now. I presume one of you is furiously. <laughs> I am. It. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. <laughs> there. So yeah. There. And, there. I think okay. there is a book. Oh wow. Yeah. So cook at home. Do you want to recreate the recipes in your own kitchen? Enjoy this recipe book containing all of the in-game recipes oh. written for the modern cook and kitchen. And I think it. it's a free PDF if you just scroll down on the website. How wonderful. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to play this game. In real life. Game. In, <laughs> in reality, reality, yeah. not virtual reality. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we could like have you put goggles on, Kevin, just to like <laughs> simulate the weight of it as you're cooking. I mean, that's you know, that's like a good chopping onion hands. trick anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I've never found a good chopping onion trick. I heard you're supposed to put bread in your mouth. Don't quote me on that. that too. Hmm. <laughs> I, I can't, I'm trying to figure out if I've tried that one. I feel like I've, I've tried a few just because it's like, is this actually going to work? And sometimes it works for like a second. And you're like, nope. There. Yeah. The only problem try. with this game is don't play when you're hungry. Because mm. you're like, oh, that looks real good. What do I have? Oh, leftovers. Yeah, leftover nonsense. And I would say like the one negative that is probably super obvious to everyone and it, and it is but like the lack of smell is very much missing in this game but i think they did do a really wonderful job in lost recipes of like sounds and like really kind of like the texture of what you're cooking and you're making they put a lot of effort into that detail and while i think the loss of the smell of what you're doing it, it I mean, they could never capture it, but I think they really did make a good faith effort to make up for that because I would say everything looked great. And when you finally have your recipe completed and you've completed the dish, it looks good. It looks really like well rendered and really engaging. All right. So check that one out. I, I'm excited about that one. Cook. It seems fun. <laughs> This is what I most I didn't expect to be like that. There, in, there you that go. Game. That's the game that gets you to go out and buy a quest. <laughs> the, the cooking <laughs> game. Yeah, that, that's uh, on brand for me. So um, now we're gonna throw to Catherine for Unbinary. Yeah. So Unbinary is by a company called Ludact. It is a VR puzzle adventure game and is entirely hand painted in quill. And so it's got this very distinctive look and feel. And you kind of get thrust into what is supposed to be, I guess, an intelligence simulation. Uh, you're referred to as the autonomous user. So you're a human and you're interacting with this AI called Webby, who's, I, Webby's kind of over it. Webby's like, okay, here's this human and I have to put them through like the series of trials because you're being tested for something. Um, and Webby is an AI made of data collected from human behavior and et cetera. So you, the human, are interacting with Webby, and then there's this other more system-driven AI. And as you complete the tasks, the system-driven AI is saying that you are bad. You're not good at this. Uh, and you're like, but I just solved the puzzle. I did the task. And Webby's getting frustrated. And you start to understand a little bit more about who you are in this world, who Webby is in this world. Um, there's also these other robots who uh, react to you dependent upon what you appear to be to them. And so you've got a couple different masks that you literally take off and put on. And when you put, say, the green one on, the other green robots, now that you look like them, are friendly to you and they appear fooled. But then if you encounter like a yellow robot while wearing the green mask, the yellow robot is like angry and like pushes you. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on as you're in this like, oh, I am a human in this simulation and I'm being given these intelligence tests. And then the intelligence tests are kind of like the, the in-world rationale as to why you need to move boxes around, you need to figure out how to open doors, you're looking for keys, you're trying to figure out how to get to like inaccessible areas. Um, so I thought that the puzzle mechanics were just really nicely done, reminded me a lot of various types of escape rooms in terms of, you know, you're you're doing these like tactile mechanical things. One thing that I thought was really interesting is that there is a climbing mechanic. Um, so uh, side oh, note, really? that, yeah, like if you get motion sick, 
turn on the vignetting because they've got mechanics similar to like the latter in Vader Immortal. But, you know, like you're on level one and you look up and there's something like way high above you and you're like, oh, I need to get up there to open the switch that'll open this other door so I can get the key and then bring it back down here to unlock myself from this room. And so when you're in the yellow mask, like that's when they ask you to climb and like move platform boxes around and oh now that I've now that I've moved the box around like I can actually like go on top of the box where I couldn't before so I felt like there was a lot of similarity to 2D and 3D puzzle games just because they were hearkening back to a lot of those same mechanics but with mm-hmm. this special VR twist because you've got the mask thing going on and you're able to m- climb and move around in these various environments. Um, and the hand-painted style is really beautiful. Like it really feels like you're inside some sort of animated world or comic book world. I think the only thing that I would note is it's not always obvious what's interactable. So you might find random objects lying around this kind of laboratory or factory-like environment and think, oh, here's like a sledgehammer. I'm supposed to pick this up and interact. And then like your hand goes right through it and you're like, oh, this is just for show. But everything has the exact same appearance. So in an escape room, you might be like, oh, I'm supposed to move this bookcase or whatever. And it's like nailed down, right? So you end up the same problem in VR. Oh, uh, whatever this cartridge is, is this part of the puzzle? Oh, it's not. My hand goes right through it. So, um, well, I, yeah. I had similar. It's funny you mentioned that because there was a game that I reviewed, The Secret of Retropolis, which is um, available on the uh, on the MetaQuest as well, and it too was done in Quill. And like, God, there's just something so beautiful and like just engrossing when a, a, the entirety of some of these games or VR games are done in Quill. It like just adds such character and depth, like compared to when you're just like, I'm just walking around some metal hallway or whatever. Right. Like to think that someone like hand drew all of these details just really adds a lot. But there was a puzzle in the secret of Retropolis where, because the entire world was just so gorgeous, it was almost overwhelming in a sense, because I'm like, like, there's just things I would never have occurred. It would never Mm -hmm. have occurred to me to interact with because I just thought they were beautiful background pieces. So it's interesting that you kind of had the reverse problem where you're like, oh, I can touch and do everything, but I really don't need it. And it's like, maybe that's an interesting like issue with Quill in regards to like, what are you going to place importance on for interactivity and interaction with, with your players? Because I feel like Quill, you're just like either just lost in it or you do want to just touch and grab everything. But maybe that's not a good idea. Well, I think in VR games, we are trained to try to touch and grab everything. And I I at least personally feel a little bit more satisfied if my hand just kind of hits the surface or bounces off. And I'm like, okay, well, someone at least went to the trouble of being like, this is solid, but... It's not yeah, like you're not supposed to interact with it. It's not for you. And I think that's just kind of like a classic video game problem. What's interactable, right? So different games solve this in different ways by adding a glow or an aura or having it blink or having some sort of like visual indicator or like thing pointing at it directly. Uh-huh. So, and they are still making updates to the game, patches, bug fixes. Um, They recently fixed a bunch of locomotion bugs and they added, I think, faster smooth turning for people that wanted it. So this is probably something that they they are cognizant of. I know that, at least from my perspective, the environments were sparse enough that it did become immediately evident that the six things that I thought were part of the puzzle were actually background and set pieces. So at least they had that going for it. Um, it is interesting to think of something that's like more of a austere, sterile environment because it does look like a spaceship or a submarine, you know, the 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 long corridor and you're like, oh, but this is painted so it feels more organic. So think of like some of the environments in like Portal, but someone uh-huh. went to the trouble of like sci-fi door hand painted. And so the line is not exactly straight and the edges maybe don't exactly meet. The width is not always consistent, you know? Um, So 
that contrast to me just seemed really, really compelling. Plus you've got this like very mysterious, who am I? Why am I here? Why does this AI care? Why is this AI putting me through these intelligence tests? You know? No, absolutely. Did, did you finish it or are you, uh, did you, are you still working your way through some of it? I mean, like, do you have a sense of like, I, I guess ultimately at the end of the day, what I'm trying to ask is, this is a, a Catherine approved game. Is this going <laughs> to, is this going to make the no pro list of recommendations for VR experiences? Uh, I'm still trying to figure out maybe, you know, where, where they might be going with it just because. Uh-huh. This, right now, the story is so sketchy, right? They've teased a lot of things, but they haven't done any reveals. Um, but for me, I think just from a tactile, physical, like embodied perspective, I'm really enjoying being in the world. Uh, personally, I'm not a huge fan of like the specific performance of Webby, the annoyed AI thus far. She's like a little bit too British and annoyed for me. So I think that could just be like a personal preference thing, but I, I feel like this no, I, has like a lot of promise. No, I think, I think especially in VR, you need someone who is cheering you on or is you have like an, an empathetic or sympathetic relationship with, I think that was a strength in regards to uh area man lives is that the, like the sound engineer, the further you go on certain paths, you learn a, more about kind of maybe his longing to have a family and that, that there's a, a single mother with a child who he actually really gets along with. But then of course the mother's in a relationship with a different DJ, like the morning DJ. And, you know, while you're struggling to help all these people, like, you know, he's just being open and honest. And I feel like we've also seen that like with Vader immortal where like you could have like, sure you can have like quirky, characters uh, Maya Rudolph as the droid in there helping you out but ultimately like the Maya Rudolph wants you to get out wants to help you and I think it's a very hard line to walk in the VR space oh yeah definitely I think uh misplaced humor or just like hey this character just seemed uh, seems annoyed all the time and I I the VR player just got here so maybe be a little less annoyed ro- annoyed robot I don't know yeah, because you're like making eye contact. Like it's it's it, like I think that's like the difference between video game and VR game is that like you know you some a lot of these games you have in a normal console or computer game you you're back from it like you ha- you're maybe looking over the shoulder or like you're looking on a screen and you got to like kind of like line up your characters so even if it's in first person you're quote making eye contact. Where in VR you can like really like turn and like sometimes get up into the face of some of these characters or some of these people and i feel like the like the sense of space and dynamic comes into play right like if someone's a little further back and maybe being snarky that's one thing but when they're like maybe up in your face which i i don't know what that that's happening in this game but that makes a difference like whoa like hey like give me like just like a foot of space here if you don't mind yeah uh you don't actually see webby but when some of the robots make it clear they don't like you, they actually come up to you and like push you back. And that definitely, uh-huh. um, you know, that, that startled me. Cause I was like, wait, I'm, I'm embodied in this game and I've come up against a robot who doesn't like me or what I'm doing. And you, you get pushed back like in, in the actual environment, even though your body doesn't move. So that was like a really interesting design choice, I think. All right. So, um, all right. Patrick kind of mentioned it. Are any of these going to make our um, Oculus Quest must plays, which we'll plug in the in the show notes too. To be determined. I think uh, yeah. we got to go back in because there's there's a lot of good stuff on there like that. The bar is quite high. <laughs> That's true. I mean, like, um, like you know, and as like I'm enjoying like how so many of these games are trying something new and things like that like but there are things on our list like a, a room uh a vr puzzler there's vader immortal uh there's the under percents which is of course a, a big favorite here but then we also have things like dr crumb's school for disobedient pets and uh the mini golf tour like there's a lot of really great experiences that i think they're already out there that um for better or worse whether maybe they were first in the space or they've just had more time to like 
get get everything figured out. I don't know, but I do feel like all of these are like worthwhile contenders and or like, oh, like you like this thing, you're going to love uh uh area man lives and things and stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting because people are walking into like their local target and buying a quest all the time and uh, the question we often get is what should I try if I'm not a fan of action combat games? So we do have some action and combat games in the list, but we do try to think about the breadth and depth of the catalog for the MetaQuest and then try to highlight, you know, what's what's the must try for someone who's just getting their feet with. So uh, it it's a it's a good challenge to have, I would say. It's a good challenge. All right. So yeah, you can check that out on the site. Um, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes if you haven't looked at that already. And uh, now we're going we're gonna to wrap up. So um, as always, thank you both for, for coming on to talk about the VR stuff. And, of um, course. No Pro is a, is a labor of love. Everyone's staff who you hear on podcasts and read on the site are volunteers. You can support this work by donating to No Percent and Patreon. Even 2 or $5 a month helps. And if you're enjoying Review Crew or the main No Pro podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, for the Review Crew, signing off. Thanks, everybody.